Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? This is the Believe in Blazer podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Stephen Vaughn. I am with my guy, Tori Jones. This is episode 10. And Tori, the Blazers are off to a torrid start. Great start for the Blazers. Uh, you know, coming off the four days off. Uh, just how are you feeling? Did you need that four days off already? Or uh, were you ready to go after the 5-1 and one start? Man, getting ready for the season is always so much prep for me. So I was kind of a little bit burnt out on on the content creation grind as the season started. So I've been enjoying these four days off. I feel refreshed. Yeah, no, that's good, man. Um, but of course, you know, the Blazers were off, but other sports weren't. And, uh, you know, because basketball is back. Invent Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, whatever you want, they got it. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V. To receive your rewards, bet online where the game starts. Um, and I've been checking out bet online. I've been checking out odds with the Blazers, and uh, you know, five and one start for Portland. Um, but now we got some injuries. You know, Dane gets hurt. He's uh, he'll be reevaluated here pretty soon. Josh Hart is in concussion protocol. And then uh, on uh, Tuesday, the Blazers released a uh, statement saying that Gary Payton the second would miss the game against Memphis, but also the entire six game road trip, which I think was a little longer than uh, most of us thought. Um, I know you and your guy Eric over at Blazers Uprise, you guys have talked about that a little bit. Uh, but I was I want to get your take on that, Tori. Just you know, it wasn't as if the Blazers needed Gary Payton because they're five one without him, but. What do you think it's going to affect on this, you know, next seven games at least, and then he gets reevaluated? Is it is this like a shock to you, or were you expecting this? Because I was expecting Gary Payton to be back right now. Just want to get your thought on that. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that it's still going to be another couple of weeks. I saw this news coming. Got to give a shout out to my guy Eric over there on my YouTube stuff. Is he had the scoop like five five days ago said it was going to be two to three weeks so got to give him some credit on being early on that scoop so uh the news today did not surprise me whatsoever gary payton the second will return at the earliest i think is the key phrase november 15th against the san antonio spurs i just want to see what this defense looks like at full strength right missing damian lillard i don't think is really going to affect the defense a whole lot but missing gary payton obviously is i want to see him play with certain guys on this roster josh hart Justice Winslow, how good of a defensive lineup can those three guys and maybe Jeremy Grant be? Uh, I'm just curious as to how Gary Payton II fits in in this offense, an offense that has more movement than in years past, an offense that is not quite what the Golden State Warriors did last year, but closer to it than it's it's been in previous seasons. 
How does Gary Payton II fit into that? How much of a difference can he make on the defensive end? What is his uh, rotational spot going to be? Whose minutes is he going to take? How does Chauncey Billups sort that out? There's so many questions and curious things to find out with Gary Payton II. But it's awesome because the Blazers are 5-1. and one. So the Blazers are already looking like a good basketball team and winning games. And then you just add a piece like that to the mix. And it's going to be fun to see how it sorts itself out. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, shout out to your boy Eric there. You can follow him on Twitter, at HoopsJocks. I didn't give out my Twitter to yours. That's a bad job on me. But uh, you can follow me at Steven underscore V-O-N. Uh, and Tori, you're at Tori Jones YT, of course, on Twitter. Blazers Uprise, at Blazers Uprise. Hit us up there. Uh, you know, we'll just, we want to get back at you guys. We want to hear what you guys are thinking about with the Blazers. But yeah, Gary Payton II, um, you know, to be out and be 5-1, and one, I mean, this is uh, a lot better than I thought the Blazers were going to do. So, it's not that it's going to hurt the Blazers, like you said, but it's more interesting of how he fits in with these other guys, right? Uh, you know, the Blazers are ninth in defensive rating, which is great right now, and you're still missing your number one defensive player, right? Your best on-ball defender. That's Gary Payton the second. That's what we talked about going into the season. Was you know Jeremy Grant more of an off-ball guy? Uh, you know Josh Hart more of an everywhere guy, but GP two. That's the guy that is your on-ball defender, your point-of-attack defender. And they still haven't had him. And they still got the ninth defense. So, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to go up the defensive rating when he comes back. But I think it could stay right around there. Maybe just fall off a little bit. So I am excited that way. And then you talk about it offensively. Like, we've seen Shaden Sharp cut to the hoop a bunch. And he's getting hit. We've seen other guys cut to the hoop and score the basketball. And I think that's the Chauncey Billups offense. Uh, you know, it's... It's interesting to see just the difference of strategy and style that they have between Chauncey and Terry Stotts. It's a lot more ball movement. It's a lot just movement on the court, and it's nice to see. So I think GP2 is going to fit in perfectly. But my uh, my worry is, Tori, and, and you know, I want to hear your thoughts on this to see if I'm off base. But, you know, Dame had the same surgery as GP2. Nasir Little had the same surgery as GP2. Uh, you know, it took a little bit for Nasir Little to get at it. You know, uh, I was a little disappointed in him at the start of the year. He's starting to play a little bit better as we're going on. He even admitted that he wasn't 100% quite yet. Uh, Damian Lillard, same thing. You know, game one, he may have got nicked up. He may not, but he didn't look that great. Preseason, I thought he looked a little rusty as well. Took him a little bit before he got going after that injury. Uh, so let's just say GP2 comes back on that 15th. Do you think if he's not 100%, right, or he's not at his full strength, is he playable in the NBA roster? Because he was a fringe NBA guy a season ago. If he's not at his full strength, can he play on the court for the Blazers and play that role in a good job? Yes, I think so, because it's more than just physicality with him. It's uh, mentally, he's one of the smartest defensive players in the game. Okay, that helps him out a ton. His timing defending on the interior is great, right? So it's not like he's just skying above people to block shots. Like a lot of times when he's blocking bigs, if you go and watch his tape where he's defending Nikola Jokic and doing a good job on him, a lot of it is just he's timing things well and he's smart and he knows how to get leverage. Like so much of his defensive game is just being mentally better than the guy across from him. Now, obviously being in peak physical condition will help him uh, be a more effective defensive piece, but I don't see him being somebody that's anything but a good defensive player as he returns from this. He battled through uh, 
this injury last season. And for his entire career, he's been a guy who's battled because he was an NBA player. If he was hurt, he couldn't afford to miss time. His story is extremely inspirational, but he's also the type of guy to find a way to make it work dealing with an injury like this or a recovery now like this. Uh, so... I, I would not bet against Gary Payton II being able to come back and right away have an impact on this defense. Uh, and it's just, how good of an impact will that be? I'm not worried about him being a negative piece or a guy you can't play. I just, is he going to be a good defender, a great defender, or an elite defender? I think it's somewhere in there. The thing that worries me, and it's not even about Gary Payton, it's more just about the Blazer franchise in general, and the fact that we didn't know about this surgery until what, two months after it happened? I believe it happened... Yeah, and it happened in, what, July? Like, June or July it happened back then? And now, you know, it was reported that he was hopefully to be back by opening night, you know, be ready for training camp. No, it didn't happen. It's pushed back. Okay, that happens. Now it's opening night. Okay, you know, I can take a couple games. But now it's another two weeks to be reevaluated. Um, you know, I still hate that the Blazers' communication is terrible on this kind of stuff, and it does worry me a little bit. It does worry me that it keeps getting pushed back and that this injury may be a little more serious uh, and a little more troublesome as we go across the season. Am I off base on that or uh, am I just thinking more negatively towards the Blazer franchise in general? I mean, you have a legitimate gripe with their lack of communication. The fact that we didn't know until September was very strange, uh, two months after he had the surgery. But I don't think it's a situation where they are being... Um, they, they, I don't think it's a situation where they're not being forthcoming because it's an issue that's going to take longer than a couple of weeks. I just think he's in the middle of his recovery right now. I think this is the type of thing where it's hard to put an exact timetable on it. So it's just the organization putting in, okay, well, he's going to be reevaluated. And then now he's been reevaluated. It was a few days after he was supposed to be reevaluated. He was supposed to be reevaluated on October 27th or something. And we got news on November 1st. But. I just think it's a lengthy recovery, and it's it's hard to put an exact date on, so they can't sit here and say, oh yeah, we expect him back in three weeks or four weeks. It's just kind of wait and see, and if you listen to his interview that he did at the practice facility, he said, yeah, I'm just taking it a day at a time. He doesn't seem to know exactly when he'll be back, but... Uh, I'd be surprised if this news came out where they're saying he can come back at the earliest uh, on November 15th against the San Antonio Spurs. I feel like that means he's close. I, I don't know, but it's just all speculation with this type of thing. I wouldn't worry about it if I were you, but you never know. And Nurkic had some setbacks coming back from his broken leg and whatnot, but I don't think it's something that Blazer fans should worry about. We'll just wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, just the way the Blazers worded it in their press release, uh, just the fact that they say, you know, uh, he, he he's going to miss Wednesday's game versus Memphis and the upcoming six-game road trip, at which a timeline for return to game action will be determined. So, I mean, to me, it seems like they have no idea when he's going to come back, and that's just something that I wasn't expecting. You know, when they signed Gary Payton II, I was hoping he'd be in the lineup and I'd be able to see how that goes, but... Uh, yeah. But well, it just as long work. as the as long as the Blazers are winning games, it's fine, right? Right, and that leads me to my next point. Like, I want to talk about uh, just who's been the most. Uh, I don't want to say uh, like surprising or your be like who's been your favorite player so far on this Portland Trailblazers season. Uh, I mean, obviously, I love watching Dame, and Dame's been my favorite player for a long time. 
it's always easy to go with the best player on a team. So in terms of an unheralded guy, I just, I love the way Josh Hart plays the game, how hard he plays, how hard he attacks, the fact that he can defend, pass, shoot the ball, score the ball, like just a do-it-all role player that's a glue guy that can fit in many roles, can maybe even play four positions. He played some power forward last year for the Pelicans, and uh, with Damian Lillard out last game, he was handling the ball, and he can play some point guard. He can pass and, and dribble. So... I like versatile role players that will play whatever role their team needs them to and then will play hard out there night in, night out and are super competitive guys. So Josh Hart right now, in terms of just a, uh, a role player or a guy not named Damian Lillard has been the guy that I've really enjoyed watching this year. You know what? I'm going to surprise you with this one. Uh, you know, Josh Hart, I love Josh Hart. I could talk about him all the time, but I'm going to go with Nurk. Good Nurk has been awesome this year. Like he's been, he's been awesome. I tweeted this out after the Houston game. Like Nurk was unbelievable in that game. And you know, the thing you'd love to see is when he has the matchup in his favor and he has a mismatch to take advantage of it. And he did that 27 points, 15 rebounds, misses five shots. The Rockets only had what guys are like six, eight, six, nine guarded him. And he just beasted them and got to where he could make the shots three blocks on the defensive end. Like he played awesome, and that was it. Was really good to see that he took advantage of the matchup. Now you look going forward. Uh, you know the Blazers playing the Grizzlies. Stephen Adams. That is a matchup that's going to be tough. But you look at last year and that five-game winning streak before they shut everybody down. That was Nurk's best game, right? Right before the right before the break. Uh, I believe he had 32 points, eight rebounds, only missed a couple shots. And then you play the Suns, who's another good defensive team, uh, physical team, and then the Heat, another good defensive team, physical team. So you know I think. Nurk's been playing pretty well. He's had, you know, three really good games, three really average to bad games. It'll be interesting to see how he goes forward, but I want to give Nurk some shout out there, man. He's been playing really well um, in the games that he plays well. Like he has been, I'm not going to say dominant, but he's been pretty close to dominant at that point. Yeah, you couldn't have come up with a name that would have shocked me more than that. That was the last name I was <laughs> hey, expecting no, to hear. Because I mean, you've been I, critical I, of him. I, I, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair. When people play well, though, like, you got to give him credit. So uh, I'm going to yeah. give Nurk some credit that. With him, I just think he's been good defensively. His finishing before last game, he was shooting, what, 40% from the field, which obviously is not good from your center. So there's some areas he struggled with this year. Uh, finishing the ball has been one of them. But defensively, I think he's quietly been solid so far this year. And the Blazers are not top 10 in defensive rating or close to it without Nurkic at least being solid defensively as the last line of the defense. And I think whatever scheme Chauncey's had him run, because Chauncey's run a lot of different stuff, Nurkic hasn't been making many mistakes at all. Yes, he's not a guy that's going to block a ton of shots or be super athletic as a rim protector around the rim, but positionally he's very, very sound and that goes underappreciated, I think. So I've been really happy with him so far defensively. But then with small ball lineups like Houston's, I feel like a lot of people think you can't play Nurkic against a small ball lineup like that. You have to match the small ball. But as long as Nurkic isn't getting burnt defensively, which he didn't in that game, you can actually impose a problem on a small ball lineup if you feed Nurkic the ball and he's finishing. And he absolutely torched and he, he tortured that Houston Rockets team, dominated them. And then on the other end, they were not able to take advantage with them being small and having a big guy like Nurkic out there on the floor. So uh, it was just interesting to see that dynamic play out in the previous game. I, I think defensively he's been very solid. Nice to see him finish better last game. Hopefully that continues. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Denver game. He completely dominated that Jokic matchup. 
on the defensive side, right? He didn't shoot the ball well that game. He was 4 for 12, but he dominated Jokic defensively. And when he does that, you know, and I've said this before about Nurk, like, he's a very smart defender. He's in the right spot a lot of times, but sometimes his athleticism doesn't allow him to get to the exact spot he needs to get to contest the best or just help out. And he hasn't been fouling as much, right? He's only had one game of five fouls. He's done a really good job. Chauncey puts a lot of pressure on him defensively to make plays and be that flash line of defense like you talked about. He's done a good job. Uh, you know, you going back and look, now they're playing Memphis. 32 points, 8 rebounds, 12 of 17 shooting. That's my expectations, Tori. If he doesn't get 32 and 8, I'm uh, I'm out. I'm out on Nurk. Uh, he's got to get 32 and 8 against Steven Adams and the... Uh, and the Grizzlies. No, but I, no, he's uh, he's been good, man. Uh, but okay, I want to talk about this. This is the one I really want to talk about right now. So Chauncey Billups, he came out. He had a t- he had a quote. Uh, he was asked to compare Shane Sharp, and I've been high on Shane Sharp all year. Right, coming in the year, I had a lot of expectations. He's exceeded my expectations. I think he probably has even exceeded your expectations, Tori. You've liked what you've seen. But he was asked to compare Shane Sharp to a player from his era. He named off two guys. I don't know if you saw this. But number one, Brandon Roy. Number two, Vince Carter. Uh, let, let's just pump the brakes a little bit on this 19-year-old. I know he's played great, but let's not compare him to, you know, Hall of Fame-level players quite yet six games into your career. Yeah, I mean, it's just style of play things, you know. Because uh, what he said about Brandon Roy, Brandon Roy was super smooth. And and he likened how smooth Sharp is and how smooth he moves out there on the court to Brandon Roy, you know. So uh, I know some people cringe when comparisons come up when you get this 19-year-old kid who's played six NBA games and all of a sudden he's being compared to Brandon Roy and Vince Carter. But um, in terms of, like, the way he moves out there on the court, he is unique, man. I went and watched them play Maccabi in preseason and that was like Sharp's first breakout preseason game he had 27 in that game and just watching the way he runs and moved it was like he was floating on the court like you you could not tell when his feet were hitting the court if you didn't see his feet hitting the court you couldn't tell when his feet are hitting the court you know like big heavy guys when they run like they they like thud and bounce and you could tell when their feet are hitting the court he just like floats out there moves completely effortlessly and in person it was different, man. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that in person. It sounds like a weird thing to to say, but I highly suggest anyone listening to this, go and, if you can afford it, obviously, go try and sit 100 level for a Shane Sharp game and just watch the way he moves out there on the court because you can kind of see it on TV, but you can really see it in person. So he's just, he is super smooth to go along with that athleticism. Yeah, there you know, there is a there is a difference when you see him in person, like how how effortless it really is. And he's one of those guys. Uh, you know, I've said this numerous times, just it's nice to have a guy in the Blazers that is so young and has a lot of potential. Like there's so many good young players and the Blazers got one. So um you know, that's exciting to see. Do you think going forward, um, you know, Shane Sharp is gonna play and be part of the rotation anyways, but do you think he can you know, if the Blazers continue to win? And he continues to play well. Is there a chance where he is basically the sixth man or even pushing into the starting lineup uh, because he's playing so well? Do you think that could happen? 
I don't think so. I think he'd have to take a jump with his shot creation ability because obviously that's the MO for the Blazers this year is they're going to have four guys out there in that starting lineup that consistently attack, break down defenses, collapse them, and either finish at the rim. Blazers are one of the top teams in points in the paint. Or they're going to make the right kickout pass for open threes, and then if those guys get ran off the line, they're attacking the paint again. And that's been their offense, and it works because you got Dame, you got Anthony Simons, you have Josh Hart out there, who I already talked about, and then Jeremy Grant, obviously, and all those guys can attack, can shoot, can pass, can score. So that's why the Blazers' offense has had some really good, dominant moments. I still think there's room for improvement. The sloppiness has been a little bit of a problem, but it works really, really well. The thing is with Shane Sharp is he's good playing off guys and in a cutter role, playing in transition, spot up corner threes, that sort of thing. But um, unless he unless he has the space to get all the way to the rim, which he doesn't need a ton of space with his athleticism, the one area where he still needs to improve is that ball handling ability and being able to make the right play off the dribble. He doesn't really force a ton because he doesn't seem fully confident in that, so it's completely fine. He doesn't have to. He, he's played solid defense, made the right cut, knocked down threes, like finished when he's had opportunities. He doesn't have to force things, but in order to get to the point where he maybe supplants, it would be Josh Hart in the starting lineup. Yeah, or they, like have... trade jo- or they like to trade Josh Hart so they can get him. Yeah, which I'm not a fan of looking to trade Josh Hart just because he's a perfect role player and it's really hard to find somebody that does the things he does in a starting or a bench lineup. Like, I want to keep Josh Hart long-term and Shane Sharp long-term. I don't think you have to choose necessarily, but right now in his rookie year, He would have to take a sizable jump in terms of being sharper with his handle and then more consistent breaking down defenses and then making the right play. And he just hasn't really shown a ton in that regard because he doesn't seem fully confident yet, which I'm not going to sit here and expect the world out of him. But I think he would need to do that in order to kind of fit the style that the offensive unit plays with in terms of having four guys that can consistently attack and put pressure on the defense. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just went off saying it's let's not put too high of expectations on the young guys. So I'm definitely with you. I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. Not this year. Uh, I think next year he's in line to start and in line to have a great year. But uh, you know, with this team right now, Josh Hart, I think, like you said, he's been a great fit. And you know, I think ideal, realistically, and ideally, you would love a Josh Hart off the bench, and you're starting Shaden Sharp with Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard. I think down the road, that's your best lineup. And then Josh Hart can do the Josh Hart things he does, but off the bench, it just really have a big impact in that second unit. But uh, yeah, for now, you know, can't you can't put too much pressure on Shane Sharp. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a question about this. I want to ask you yeah, a question yeah. about this. So. Joe Cronin has said they still feel like they might be a piece or two away, but they want to see how this roster plays. Without knowing how the rest of the season plans out, if the Blazers go into next season and they have a starting lineup of Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic, and then off the bench have Josh Hart, Gary Payton II, Nasir Little, and then a backup center. How do you feel about that? Are you happy? Are you okay? Are you upset that they didn't go out and get another legitimate piece between now and then? Without knowing how this season goes, how would you feel if that's the lineup next year? I would be not super psyched. I think you need to add more pieces. I don't think this is a championship-level team. I don't think it is quite yet. And I don't think just by uh, improving the guys in-house is going to get you to that level. I think you still have to go outside and get an extra piece. I don't. I don't think the Blazers are quite there yet. You know, even if Shane Sharp does take that next step at 20 years old, you know, is he really going to be that superstar that they haven't had? I don't know that quite yet. 
Um, I do think they could still improve in other positions, some different areas. So uh, for me, I would be a little disappointed. I think it would be more of uh, what we saw with Neil Olshay, how they built in, in-house and they improved their guys to a certain level. And then they got, you know, they uh, they plateaued, right? And so for me, I want them to go out and make more moves. Yeah, yeah. For me, though, it's different than with Olshay because with Olshay, there was always obvious spots to upgrade. Like, I was never a big Evan Turner fan off the bench, kind of being the sixth man at times. Um, the Bla- Blazers teams of previous years didn't always have a super great bench. And then the forwards were always questionable. It was always, we need an Alfred Camino or Maurice Harkless upgrade. But it's like, if Shane Sharp is really going to take that jump by next year, which I think he truly has a chance to be a really good NBA player next year. And then you have Jeremy Grant at the four, Nurk at the five. I mean, I guess it could be Nurk, but I mean, what uh, upgrade out there is even gettable? You know what I'm saying? That's why I asked well, you that question is because I'm thinking hear, about hear, this and it's hear like... Hear me out here. Hear me out here. What? Isn't where it, would it isn't be? The, isn't the other... The answer is you're starting Damon Sharp in the backcourt and you're trading Anthony Simons for another week. That's the answer. That's the way you improve the team. And I like Anthony Simons. I think he's a really good player. But if Shane Sharp really is that dude, like he's going to be a better, more athletic, taller, more skilled Anthony Simons. You don't need him anymore. It's the same thing as I had Dame and CJ. Like very similar players. Sharp is going to just be elevated of Anthony Simons, and then you try to trade him for another big, tall wing to play with Jeremy Grant. Because I do think you're right with Josh Hart. I think that Josh Hart is so important to this team. Because when he plays the three, he rebounds like a post, right? Like he rebounds like a four and a five. That way, Jeremy Grant doesn't have to rebound. I think that's, you know, when you go small ball, that's the most important thing is can you rebound? Can you switch? And Josh Hart can play up uh, even though he's only 6'4", 6'5". He can guard the bigger, taller guys, rebound with those guys, and help out. So I think Sharp being at the two, and then you could upgrade at the three, and you still have Josh Hart to fill in the spots. I think that's the answer if I'm really looking to elevate the team. Yeah, it's just an interesting debate to think about right now because uh, I mean I don't I don't look at it as like they wouldn't need Ant. It's just can that defense be good enough offensively? That would be a, a dynamic unit if Sharp makes that jump and slots in at the three. Like offensively, that could be a top three offense. It's just is the defense good enough? And Ant's shown some things I think defensively this year. So that's something that I thought about recently that I was curious to hear your take on and just Blazer fans in general because it's always been we need to add, we need to add, we need to add, but. That lineup next year with the internal development of the young guys and, you know, I don't expect any decline from anybody else in the rotation. I think the Blazers are in a position where the next couple of years, even with the roster as is, they could seriously make some noise and they, they don't have to be desperate to make that sort of move. And then if that move comes along, obviously you make it if it makes the team obviously better. But right now... Uh, I'm liking the way this roster is looking. Well, we'll touch on that. Let's talk about just this season, right? You're talking about next year. Let's talk about this year. Blazers right now in second place. The Suns got the win on Tuesday night. They are 6-1 and one with their only loss being to the Blazers. Uh, so Portland in second place right now in the Western Conference. But, you know, the Western Conference has been a weird, weird conference this year. Uh, right now, you look who's out of the playoffs. Clippers, Warriors, Lakers. I mean, those are three teams that you thought would at least be in the play-in, uh, potentially, and you got the Jazz at six and two, the Spurs at five and two, the Thunder at four and three. Um, you know where do you stack the Blazers right now, uh, just based on this Western Conference? Because it sounds like you are very high on this team right now internally, and they don't have to add too much outside of it. You know, are they really in this upper half of the Western Conference? And um, are any of these teams that have surprised the Jazz, the Spurs, uh, the Thunder? Do you think any of those teams make the play? That's my second second part of that question. 
honestly, this might be or this might seem like a cop out answer, but I don't think there is an upper half of the West right now because I think you have true parity at this moment. I'm not fully buying the Jazz or the Spurs as a playoff team, but who's the favorite in the West? Obviously, it'd be Golden State, right? And they're sitting there at three and five. I said before this year, yes, they won a championship, but I thought it was a worse Golden State Warriors championship team than they had in any of their previous championship runs. And with, you know, the Draymond, Jordan Poole stuff entering the season and, uh, you know, Clay's kind of struggled and he had those injuries and he's getting up there in age. Curry's getting up there in age. He's struggled to do stuff with the ball in his hands like he has in previous seasons. I didn't think it was a situation where Golden State necessarily was going to be a top two or top three seed. Like, I feel like they are in a pack of teams gunning for that top spot. Obviously, Phoenix looks good right now, but Portland beat them. Um, but I, I, I just truly think it's wide open, man. Like, every year going into the NFL, and even the MLB, right now the Phillies are up 2-1 to one in the World Series over the Astros. If anybody told you that before this season, they would have said you were crazy that the Phillies were going to go on the run they've gone. But in other sports, it's like, there is ne- not, there isn't a tiered system of like, okay, these are the top half of... These teams are the top half of the playoffs in the NFC or the AFC. It's just kind of like you have a bunch of solid to good teams and any of them can go on a Cinderella run. Obviously, you have your favorites, the Bills, the Chiefs. Uh, in, in the NFC right now, it's the Eagles. But it's really anybody's league. It's anybody's Super Bowl. In the NBA, it's never really been like that. It's always been, okay, here's the hierarchy and you have five contenders and we know one of these five teams is going to win the championship or one of these four teams is going to win the championship or back when the Cavs and Warriors made it every year it was going to be one of two teams are going to win the championship I don't think it's I don't think it's clear cut and dry anymore you got Phoenix you got Portland you got Denver you got Memphis Minnesota LA Clippers Golden State Warriors Denver Nuggets I wouldn't say that any of those teams couldn't beat any of those other teams in a playoff series I truly think the West is completely wide open right now. How do you see it? Yeah, uh, that is the interesting part. Like you said, it's usually teams that you know who's going to be there. And you know, just let's just take a look at the odds here. Bet online. Shout out to them. Check out the uh, updated odds here right now. Portland in the Western Conference, though, Tori, they're still tenth to win the Western Conference. They're still tenth, the tenth of best odds to win the Western Conference. Uh, right behind the Lakers and the Timberwolves. And the Pelicans. That would be the play okay. right now. You can ride off the Lakers, okay? You can ride off the Lakers right I, now. I agree. I'm, so, I'm agree. saying it. Put a stamp on it. I agree. I uh, I agree. I thought the Lakers were better than the Blazers coming the year. I think after seven, six games, I have changed my mind. Uh, the Lakers are terrible, and it's good to see. But let's you know, Blazers right now, 10, right in there, 30-3-1. to But you look at their uh, NBA championship odds, 66-1. to I mean, they're right in, like, the 20 range. I... I don't know that I think it's as wide open as you think. I still think it's real, still very early in the season. And in the Western Conference, I think it's one of four teams. I think there's a top four teams in the Western Conference for me still. Um, and I haven't seen enough to change my mind yet. And that's Golden State, the Clippers, the Suns. And I throw the Nuggets in there. I think the Nuggets, um, once they get everyone rolling, I think that team is very talented. And I think that they're going to be one of the top four teams in the West and an actual true contender to come out of the Western Conference. After that, I don't really take anyone else seriously right now in the Western Conference. So I do think there are tiers still. I still think the Western Conference has those four teams. And that after that, I think it's a crapshoot. 
But like all these teams are flawed. All those top four teams are are flawed. Denver right now can't defend anyone, especially on the road. Uh, they're four and three, have a point differential negative three. Um, Portland had that great third quarter behind Anthony Simons. Like Denver is not good defensively, even after adding Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell Pope. But I, like, is Michael Porter Jr. getting healthier? And Jamal Murray getting back into the swing of things, is that going to make a huge difference for them defensively? Neither of those guys have been looked at as good defensive players, especially Michael Porter Jr. No, Nikola Jokic is okay defensively, but that's three of your five starters that are okay to bad defensively, right? Um, and then Aaron Gordon is not the defensive player he was two to three years ago. And Jeremy Grant, at times, in that Blazer versus Denver game had his way just attacking right at Aaron Gordon. So I don't trust Denver defensively. The Clippers, Kawhi can't stay healthy. And without Kawhi, I think they are a mediocre team. Norman Powell has looked bad. They have some depth, but it's it's just it just hasn't looked good for them this year without Kawhi. I mean, they're three and four. Um, negative seven point differential. Golden State's sitting here at three and five. Yes, it could be a championship hangover, but um, you know, some of their key pieces are getting up there in age and the chemistry between a guy like Draymond Jordan Poole is questionable. I mean, that's the thing is I feel like this year more than ever, the teams that are the favorites, you can nitpick. Phoenix is probably the best bet to come out of the West right now, but they got shellacked by a Dallas team that was Luka and just a bunch of guys in the playoffs last year. So that that's why I think it's wide open. No, I mean... I will say I agree with you that all these teams have flaws, but I think Portland has flaws as well. And so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of flaws in the NBA. You look at the Eastern Conference, I think it's the Celtics, the Bucks, and that's it really. 76ers maybe, but not really. You know, I think it's the two. But I, 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 I said this before the year Tory. Like I, I, because I thought the Blazers would have a struggle out of the gate. I said I'm willing to give them 20, 25 games, and at that point, then I can really start judging them to see their improvement. I still feel that way. I still feel that I need to give them 20, 25 games. If the Blazers are 15 and 5, if there's something crazy like that, maybe I'll change my mind and I think, okay, the West is super open and the Blazers have a shot. But just for right now, like, I'm not willing to do that quite yet. I still want to see more out of Portland. I think this hot start is a lot to do with they have something to prove. And I like that. I like the fact that they're playing hard and they're playing this way under Chauncey Billups. It's, it's refreshing to see. But just because you're playing hard doesn't mean you're going to continue winning. The, the schedule is still brutal coming forward. The six-game road trip is tough. Um, I, I'm not ready to put Portland up there yet. I will say I put them closer than what I had them. But uh, I still think there's the four teams, man. And still just too early to give up on a team like Denver who has all these talented players that you can't really you know take account. Like Michael Porter at 6'10", like you can't, you can't coach what he does offensively. I know he's not great defensively, but to pair him with Jokic... And then you get Jamal Murray as well. Like, that's just tough, man. I, I, I just can't put Portland up there with teams like Denver and the Suns and the Clippers who are so talented. Yeah. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., though, is the type of player that gets targeted in a playoff series. So, uh, you know, but I have a theory. And I'm curious what you think about this. I think there's more parity than ever. I don't know if this is because of the way the style of play has gone in the NBA or what the exact reasoning is for this. But it seems like star players can't control the game as much as in previous years like LeBron is still very very good and the Lakers suck if you had LeBron 
playing like this on any team five years ago, they're automatically a contender. Now, he had more shooting around them, so the Lakers are just constructed terribly, but just in general across the NBA, it seems like talent, just sheer talent, is winning out less in having a cohesive team that plays together, plays off each other, and then obviously plays on the defensive side of the floor matters more. And that's how you get like Memphis last year playing great without John Morant and coming out of nowhere. Like it just seems like that's the way the league is going. And I think maybe that explains some of Portland's start. Um, and maybe Utah sitting here at six and two as well, the Spurs at five and two. I, I just, it seems like that matters a little bit more, at least in the Western Conference. In the Eastern Conference, you got Milwaukee at 6-0. They got Giannis, who I think is the best player in the world. But Cleveland's at 5-1. I don't know if they have a superstar, right? Uh, Toronto is 4-3. Like, the East is, the East in terms of records is worse than the West right now. Um, but the East is wide open too. So do you think that... There's been a change in the NBA from, okay, you just got to get as many superstars as possible, just sheer talent, and they'll win out, and they'll uplift your team, and you'll be on automatic contender. Do you think it's shifted from that a little bit, at least towards, okay, well, teams win championships, teams that play together, teams that play on the defensive side of the floor? Yeah, um, I I don't think you're wrong, but I always thought it was a little, like, I will say this, talent is by far the most important thing in the NBA still. Like, you could be the most connected team, as the Blazers would say. They want to be the most connected team. But if you don't have enough talent, it's not going to work. But I will say this, Tori, and it's kind of like with baseball, too. Like, you have situational players. Same with football. Situational running back, situational plays for guys. Um, in the NBA, it's very situational now, where you have spot-up shooters who that's what they do. They play, you know, the 3 and D guys. You have the one center who can roll to the hoop, the one center that can pop, the one that can play great defense. You have ball handlers that can score for themselves with your ball handlers that can pass. I think it is, it's the combination of obviously of roster construction and talent, but I do think talent still is overwhelming because I mean, look at the Warriors, like they, yes, they are very connected, but Andrew Wiggins was like, the, was the first pick in the draft, was a high, you know, one of the highest recruited guys ever. So it's not like he's not talented, right? And he's their fourth, he was their third, fourth option on that team last season. So I think, I think you're right, but I also think that talent is the overwhelming factor and that you know at the start of this year the Blazers they're a very veteran team and I think that's why Utah is playing really well as, as well like there's a lot of vets on that team so they're ready for this grind I think the younger teams are going to get a little bit better as the season goes on I I, I mean I think it's a good it's a good theory uh I just I still think I still think talent overwhelms everything though yeah I mean but I just look at a team like the Lakers and it's like their third best player doesn't fit next to their best two players and then all their other players don't maximize LeBron or AD so yeah you got two superstars right you got LeBron and you got AD but the team is not built to do anything beyond those two guys right like in in Westerberg absolutely does not fit he's been terrible but he's just I've been good. saying this from the time he what he's just not good he's just a bad player yeah, I mean, last year he put up 18, 8, and 8, you know, like he still got his stats. He's not super efficient, but it's like when a player like that ends up next to LeBron in AD and he doesn't fit, everybody always looks at that player and says, oh, that's just a terrible, terrible player. But I've always said this about Russ, like 
in order to be effective, he needs the ball in his hands. He's just not good enough to be that guy on a on a contending team to have the ball in his hands. And then off the ball is where he's not good. But that's the problem is like there's no cohesive fit for him. He's still, um, you know, he's not a terrible talent, I don't think. But it's more so that team is not constructive to be cohesive and to be a to be a team that maximizes their best players. So you brought up Andrew Wiggins with Golden State, which I thought was interesting. Nobody talked about Andrew Wiggins like he was a uh, a winning player before he got to Golden State. He played with the Wolves and was like very ISO heavy. Didn't play defense. Didn't pass much. He was one of those guys putting up good stats on a bad team. He gets to Golden State, and I think this is a big part of this. And Golden State develops him into a role. A starting role, you know, a role that got him an all-star spot, but still they develop him into a specific type of player that fits exactly what they're trying to do and fits next to who they already have there. So that's part of it is being able to mold players to fit what you need from them. But yeah, I just think the NBA has gone away from the big three and superstardom and, and all this stuff. I mean, look at Brooklyn. They got Kyrie and KD and they're two and six and they just fired Steve Nash. So I love it. And I think that's why it seems wide open, at least to me. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like, it's definitely not like the big three and figure it after that. I think you are right where it's, you need a deeper team and you need to have, like what I was saying, like you need to have different guys that do different things, right? You can't just have one team where back in the day it was, you know, put LeBron and shooters and you'll be fine. I don't think you can put LeBron and shooters and it'll be fine anymore. Like you got to have other things besides that one thing. Um, And Westbrook, yeah, I mean, a couple years ago, he led the league in assists. With the Wizards, they were the eighth seed. So I think that's like the potential of Russell Westbrook as your star player. Like, oh, cool, you'll be the eighth seed and lose in the first round, get swept by whoever. But um, yeah, uh, the thing, uh, and then Wiggins, you talk about Wiggins. I was told this, I worked with the Blazers. This is one thing that always stood out to me and I will always remember it is I was told the hardest thing to judge about an NBA player is how they adapt their game and how they change. You can, no one will ever know how they do it because they've played a certain style to get them to the NBA. So why are they going to change that now? Right? Not everybody does it. And at that time when I was with the Blazers, we were uh, talking about Jody Meeks. Remember Jody Meeks back in the day? He was awesome at Kentucky. Averaged over 20 a game, was a star player. When he got to the league, he became just a shooter and a defender. And he was talking about how that is such a, that's just so valuable and you can't measure that type of thing. Because, People thought he'd come into the league and just try to score every time, but he adapted a role and he changed his game completely to make an NBA career. Same with Andrew Wiggins, right? You talk about being a bad, a good player on a bad team. He adjusts his role and now he's thriving in Golden State. You look at a lot of other guys, even guys that have been into Portland. I mean, you know, talk about a guy like uh, Von Wafer. Like that guy could score all the time, but he never adjusted his game and he fell out of the league, right? Carmelo Anthony, same thing. Like, he never adjusted his game until he got to Portland and then he was okay, but then he still had deficiencies. But when he actually accepted a role of coming off the bench and just saying, you know, I'm going to shoot threes. I'm going to be a spot-up shooter. That's when he was at his best, but he never did it consistently. And now he's out of the league. Like, I, so I agree with you. Like, you've got to find guys that are willing to adjust their game as they progress in their career. But it's so hard to find because they've made, they're making millions of dollars and they did it a certain way. So why would they want to change? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think the key for that is just having a good culture and a good head coach that's able to 
get the most out of his players. And that's why I'm excited with what Portland is doing to tie this back to the Blazers with Chauncey Billups as coach and the culture they seem to be building. In order to build a culture, you need guys there that'll buy in. I think that was Portland's issue last year is you had certain guys on this roster that didn't buy into playing the right way and giving forth effort consistently. Now I feel like Portland has those types of players. And when you have those types of players and a good coach who's a player's coach, you know, a Chauncey Billups type guy, uh, Steve Kerr, etc., you're able to bring in a guy like Andrew Wiggins and have a shot at getting him to change his game in order to win. But that's the thing is it has to be a challenge for guys like that. Like, do you want to win? Do you want to get paid? Do you want to be an all-star? Like, in order to do this stuff, you can't keep doing what you've been doing your entire career. You have to be willing to change and fit a role. And when Steve Kerr got brought into Golden State, he challenged Steph Curry to become an average defense player. Steph Curry was horrible before him, and Steve Kerr came in and said he wasn't going to stand for it. And if they were ever going to become what they ended up becoming as a championship organization, Steph Curry needed to be better defensively. Steph took that head on, and the Warriors became a better defensive team for it. So I think it's a situation where coaching and culture matters. And Portland's building a culture that I think could be that type of culture that could prove productive for veterans later in their career becoming different types of players that are more suitable to helping an organization win games. I don't think you could have said that uh, two, three years ago. I mean, we we saw the whole mellow thing, and it was, we're still going to give Mello his paint touches, even though he's much better as a spot-up catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, right? And even though he's not efficient inside the, inside the post, it was, we're going to post him up, and we're going to feed him the ball, and he's going to, you know, either stagger when he was starting, stagger and, like, place him with the bench unit so we can still feed him, and he can still kind of be like old Mello. Um, but then when he was coming off the bench, it was... You know, trying to let him do what he's always been comfortable with. And there was always rumors about like, yeah, he was promised a certain amount of minutes per game and touches and this and that. That 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 was under, you know, the previous head coach. I don't I wouldn't be worried with that being an issue going forward under Joe Cronin and Chauncey Billups and in this organization now, like it was a couple years ago when they had Carmelo Anthony. No, I'm not saying that I want Carmelo Anthony back or anything, but hopefully you get my point. No, I, I do. It, it, that's that's the whole point is that it's hard to tell who's actually going to adjust their game. But I think just talking about that perfect, perfect guy example, Justice Winslow, right? Went to Duke, was a high recruited guy, was a big time draft pick, uh, was kind of expected to be the man in Miami. Like, there's the rumors that Boston offered them uh, so many picks to try to get Justice Winslow. The Heat turned them down, and they were trying to groom him as, you know, a point forward. And he's kind of playing like a point forward here in Portland, but he has adjusted his game where now he's a role player coming off the bench, and he comes in and plays hard defense, hard physical. He's basically their backup center right now at a lot of times. He's playing the backup five. When he came into the league as, like, a shooting guard, even a point guard, you know, type of like that's how he wanted to play. So, you know, you got to give credit to like that. And I think you're right. Chauncey Billups has a lot to do with that. Joe Cronin has a lot to do with that. Um, and so it's good. It's good to see that with the Blazers uh, going forward. I think it, I think it could work. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes with that culture. I still think they need to upgrade their talent just a little bit uh, if they want to be serious contenders. But we'll see what happens. It's still far way out. Uh, so to ra- we're going to wrap it up here. But one last thing 
before we do. Uh, Blazers, they go on a six-game road trip. Suns, back-to-back. Then Heat, Hornets, Pelicans, Mavericks, Torrey. I believe it's their first of three six-game road trips. I think I heard that today. Uh, They have three six-game road trips this year. The only team in the NBA to do that. Uh, What is the Blazers' record on this six-game road trip? Oh, I mean, it's hard because so much of it probably depends on is Damian Lillard going to be back. Um, Right now, I think you just hope to get one out of the two Phoenix and Miami Heat games, and then you want to get two of Charlotte, New Orleans, and Dallas, and then you're sitting there at three and three. That's the record I'm going to go with, and that would put them at nine and five. So a 500 road trip, I think, is is a positive. Oh, yeah, I I totally agree with you. Uh, If they go 500, man, I think that is a very, very successful road trip, man. So I'm excited to watch it. I'm excited to watch it, man, especially um, without Dame. Let's see if Anthony Simons can continue uh, playing really well. I'm excited to watch that. Absolutely. And then you get Gary Payton II back. Oh, after not, that road I'm trip, not, I'm not going to count on that. I'll believe that when Hopefully. I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> uh, but with that, Tori, I think we're done for the for the week. Got anything else to add? You want to uh, put out there? Blazer fans just need to be ready for a marathon. Twenty nine days, sixteen games, sixteen games over the month of November. It's a thirty day month. Their first game's November second. Well, then why'd they That's... get this? Why'd they get this four days off? They should have just thrown a game in there. I don't know, man. I don't know. Scheduling is uh, seems like an absolute headache. I'm not complaining about the four days off. Blazer fans just better be ready for a freaking marathon because I don't know if I've ever seen a season except after the lockout where they were playing like three nights in a row at times uh, back a decade ago. I don't know if I've ever seen this jam-packed of a schedule. 16 games, 29 days. It'll be fun, though. It'll be fun to watch and uh, see how this team performs, man. They're playing hard, so it's going to be hard to play every night. But uh, if the if any team can do it, I think the Blazers have a lot of guys in their roster that will give full effort every night. I'm excited to see that. Uh, so with that, uh, follow my guy Tori at Tori Jones YT on Twitter. Hit him up there. Hit him up at Blazers Uprise. Uh, we love comments, questions, anything about that. You can hit me up at Steven underscore V-O-N. This is the Believe in Blazers podcast and the Believe in Blazers podcast network. Uh, big shout out to betonline.ag for sponsoring us for that. And with all of that, let's go Rip City and uh, hopefully they keep winning and they prove me wrong. I'm excited to see it. But with that, I'm out, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.